Welcome to Waywards, where we take a few sidelong looks at literature to wonder where we ought to go. I'm Steve Chisnell, and here is a Waywards mini-episode. You know, many years ago, I was offered the novel Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. I was excited because it was the first novel from Africa that I had ever read. More, I had already understood enough about slavery and European colonization that it was clear that finally I was going to read a story that created the justice I wanted to see. Africa wouldn't be a wild place which needed to be tamed. It wouldn't be the vast slave park described by explorer H.M. Stanley. And I would start to see the cruel and ignorant Europe for what it was. Now, there is a great deal to talk about with Achebe's technique. To what effect he employs Western symbols to describe his themes in English, for instance. But today, I just wish to make this observation because it's the one that undid me in that first reading. The white colonizers were beyond ignorant in their reading of the Igbo culture of Nigeria. But the African characters, especially its protagonist, Okonkwo, were not, were not heroes. They also were saturated with tragic ignorance, stubbornness, pride, complex suppressions of familial love, apathy, grudges and anger, and unwillingness to meet change, generational challenges. They were, what else to call them, human. What did I know? I was young. So much of what I had read was a pretty straightforward story. The good guys had to defeat the bad guys. I was raised on Tolkien and Lewis, Asimov and Heinlein, Poe and King, Disney and Grimm. There were dark forces at work in the world, and they had to be withstood by people with principles. I start here because of some feedback I get about reading into story and poem, about finding ideas which aren't there. Now, we've already talked a bit about aesthetic reading, and we will again, but today... I want to add a new notion to our practice, one which will help us, I think, as we move forward. Last night, in anticipation of the new James Bond film, I wanted to watch Spectre. Secret agent James Bond finds himself surprised to be attending a secret summit of villainy. Here are a hundred bad guys, and girls, all assembled in a covert organization, all planning to undo the world with drug trade, slavery, and murder. They approach it calmly. Matter-of-factly, I, I could say motivated merely by profit over morality, but we'll save the anti-capitalist theme for another time. The point is, they seemed utterly without morality. They were evil. Evil had organized. And, like just about every fantasy or superhero story that has ever existed ever, the good guy, despite all the odds, had to defeat it. Now, you and I understand that real people aren't quite like that, though it is sometimes tempting to say so around topics of politics and social morality debates. Literature, especially fantastic literature, and here I'm thinking of writing which occurs outside of our own world, or genre literature, and by this I mean niche fiction like westerns, romantics, science fiction, can draw the world more easily into clear labels of good and evil, right and wrong ignorant and enlightened. We may like it because it's an escape from the real world, which is sometimes difficult to sort out. Snow White, who is nothing but innocence and beauty and goodness, must be protected from the evil queen. 
Frodo and Sam, who are nothing but innocence and humility and enduring goodness, must defeat the inimitable Sauron. The sheriff of Grey Gulch must stop the cattle thief. The handsome loner must save the damsel from her kidnapper. The wholesome teenager must defeat the monster. Now, there's nothing wrong with these stories, per se. They're often entertaining for a few moments, like a good roller coaster or a CGI film in words. But they have me a little concerned. It's one thing to escape the real world for a few moments, to read some books that help us find catharsis, a release of anxiety or frustration. But it's something else completely to take the lessons of such works and place them on all literature or back upon the living world. Sometimes I used to describe our egos as themselves being a distortion of our sight, of creating an ironic perception, a limited view of the world where we cannot see reality. I would say that all of us, each of us, are the stars of our own movies. Well, in some sense this is true, in that we, each of us, sees ourselves as the star of the story, the good character who should justifiably win. There aren't many of us, thankfully, who see ourselves as Sauron, Voldemort, Helsing's the Major, an evil boss, a backstabbing friend, or a hater of kittens. But if this is true, then where is the evil? If not each of us now, but virtually all of us see ourselves this way, then what is the villain we are bound to defeat? We know how the story goes. The good guy bops the villain. I'm the good guy. I must identify the villain, the bad. I must author them. Uh, whoop. <laughs> okay, now wait a minute. As we discussed in the last episode, Fowls in the Frith, authorship is a complicated thing. But it is an acceptance of responsibility for the story we read. My suggestion here is that if we're not careful, we might author or create villainous motives and evil characters who each see themselves as good too. Our capacity and our desire to fool ourselves into creating this good-evil binary is itself an ironic mode, a limited perception. Dramatic irony, let's remember, is a position of ignorance or blindness, a lack of perception about how the world is really operating. Over the course of a story, a character slowly becomes less ignorant, less ironic, and then discovers something perhaps wonderful. Or they fail to grow through the story and we end up in tragedy. However, because we, you and I, want to author ourselves as the good guys— even though we make mistakes, perform acts of cruelty at times, break friendships or worse, and because we therefore also author up some bad guys to make the story go, we fail to see the world for what it really is. We become ourselves ironic perceivers, people who need help, who need waking up. When someone tells me that the story of the hour is just about a husband who cruelly keeps his innocent wife at home, domestically captive, I think, huh, that's all you see? She is good and he is evil? And these other lines in the story about his being loving, Louise as feverish, or her self-created ideal of freedom are just, what, not there? Why not allow the story's complexity its space? When someone tells me that Fowls in the Frith is only about loving a wonderful woman who does not love him back, but the ambiguity of best and beast do not offer us the tension of simultaneous readings, that he also sees her partly in resentment, 
that he also recognizes the role of alienation from our innocent natures, etc. We want to simplify it. We want to make it an either-or, a binary good or evil, escape from the complexity and make or author the world into simple parts. But humans are human. We're messy. James Berlin calls this desire toward simplification a form of false consciousness. And we'll be returning to his thinking a great deal, I suspect. What he means here is that when we simplify the world, we are automatically not thinking properly, or even in healthy ways. More, we are surrounded by narratives, by stories, which keep telling us to do exactly this. Those of us in the United States see it in our political stories easily enough. We find it in characterizations of those who are not ourselves. The other religion, the other race, the other nation, the other gender, the other generation. I might offer, to connect another dot, that this limited perception we suffer from, this desire to escape complexity and make things one or the other, is the human frailty of hamartia, which Greeks said would spell tragedy thousands of years ago. Our own sadness and failures may often stem from this false consciousness, this refusal to address complexity. Psychological theorist Carol Gilligan has suggested that what we call evil in the world is actually born from pain. In other words, what we call evil or villainy is psychologically the result of someone acting in pain or ignorance. Sometimes, if we begin with this idea, we might better understand the person or character we wish to attack. Why are they in pain? It doesn't matter that the pain was received from another's act of cruelty or from a random act or from an ignorant one. Pain causes anxiety, and that produces complicated choices, resistances, terror, violence. Now, I'm not qualified to assess the validity of this idea, but it does seem to me a place worthy of inquiry. The fantastical literature and film rarely dig far into these questions at all, or if they do, they limit character development. They might address a single issue for each character and then line them all up against each other on the good versus evil chessboard. The good character is the brave one. This good character is the cute and innocent one. This good character is the sarcastic one. This good character is the nerdy one. Yeah, and then I guess uh, we got a trifle more clever, and we added to each a single flaw to overcome. This is the good brave character, but she has issues with her temper. This is the cute and innocent one, but she worries too much about what others think of her. This is the good, sarcastic character, but he has a deep secret which causes insecurity. And this, this is the good, nerdy character, but he needs to learn to socialize with others. Once we start playing this little game with many of our childhood favorite characters, it can be a little unnerving and revealing. Harry Potter is the good and talented one, but he has confidence issues around his dead parents. Captain Kirk is the good and crafty one, but he has issues with his own ego. Spider-Man is the good and humble one, but he has issues with self-confidence and responsibility. Elon Musk is the tech-savvy entrepreneur one, but he is quirky and acts unexpectedly. Now, can you do this to yourself? If not, what's the problem? 
There's more to each of us, isn't there? It's not that we're more complex than Harry Potter or Elon Musk, but that we have fashioned or authored these characters down into these simple formulas, often binary. And if we're not careful, we do the same to ourselves with our own ideas of goodness. We are the main characters of our own narratives. Of course we should win. I'd like to show one more consequence, though, of reading the world too simply. You've probably noticed that I have moved pretty freely back and forth between the world of literature and our own physical world as I talk about authoring characters and narratives. This is because you and I, as readers, read and interpret both literature and the world pretty much the same ways. The methods for reading literature are so often right in line with reading the world. We read the words or the signs or the events, and then we make interpretative judgments about those events. So there is real consequence to learning to read well, to read complexity for what it is, to avoid the false consciousness of simplification. And here it may be. When we read literature that is more complex, that has characters rich in morality or psychology, in motives and history, our own capacity for compassion for empathy, improves. Researchers Castano and Kidd ran several studies where they offered readers either popular fiction, literary or more complex fiction, nonfiction, or nothing at all to read. Then they were examined about their ability to infer and understand the thoughts and emotions of others. They discovered that readers of nothing, or those of only nonfiction, had low scores. No surprise. The same was true of popular fiction. Only the readers of what the study calls literary fiction, that with complex characters with multiple motives and purposes, did they find that the test results were high and their capacity for empathy was raised. Popular fiction focuses on the plot, the adventure, and the shallow or simple characters are fairly clear and consistent all of the time. But in literary fiction, say the researchers, quote, often those characters' minds are depicted vaguely, without many details, and were forced to fill in the gaps to understand their intentions and motivations. This genre prompts readers to imagine the characters' introspective dialogues. This psychological awareness carries over into the real world, which is full of complicated individuals whose inner lives are usually difficult to fathom. Although literary fiction tends to be more realistic than popular fiction, the characters disrupt reader expectations. They undermine prejudices and stereotypes. They support and teach us values about social behavior, such as the importance of understanding those are different from ourselves. So what have we learned? Louise Millard can also be foolish. The speaker of Fowls in the Frith can have complicated feelings. The girls of Goblin Market can be good and foolish and desirous and a host of other things. And I learned that Oconquo of Things Fall Apart was a significant step in my own learning to read. Next week, we are looking at a short story by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, coincidentally also from Nigeria, and coincidentally sometimes described as this generation's Chinua Achebe. Now, I don't know about that, but I do know that Tomorrow is Too Far, a story from her collection The Thing Around Your Neck, is an exercise in the complexity we're talking about. Give it a read. You'll find copies of the text linked in the show notes and on our website. And we'll see you next week. Go read something.